Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Devos with D, and I'm Pastor D from the Heights Church. I'm so glad that you decided to join me for another study, and we just have a really good one tonight. I tell you, my mind was spinning with all the studying that I was doing for this particular lesson, but I tell you, I enjoyed every single minute. So I hope that you will be able to enjoy the things that I've gathered for you to hear tonight. And not because of me, because I think these things God wants us to know and understand to the best of our ability. So we are looking at the mysteries of Revelation because there are some pretty deep things in there. I have to tell you uh, things that I have never studied. You know, I've read the book of Revelation, but I have to admit I did not study the book of Revelation, so I really thank the Lord for this opportunity for both of us, you and I, to study this book. So let's go ahead and jump in. I do need to make one correction. You said one correction? You haven't even started yet, Pastor D. It's from last week's video. I need to make a correction about something that I said that relates to the beast. We were talking about the two witnesses, and the two witnesses were killed by the beast after he came out of the abyss. I indicated that the beast was probably Satan, and that's, from what I gather, that's what most people thought. But as I read tonight's lesson, I realized something, and this is what I want to share with you. We're going to be in Revelation 20, and as I studied Revelation 20, this is what I learned. And the devil who is Satan, who has deceived them, is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been. Well, I figured out just from that statement that if the beast and the prophet were already in the lake of fire and Satan was just getting thrown in, then Satan could not be the beast. So I did want to share that correction with you tonight. I am so thrilled to just be here. Can I say that? You know, everybody doesn't get the opportunity to stand before others and teach the word. And so I'm thankful to God. I want you to know I'm going to basically try as much as I can to keep my opinion out of what I'm teaching and share with you what scholars have said, what, you know, well-known ministers of the gospel have said, what art, what, you know, Christian articles, what there is in those to bring this lesson to life. So I look forward to all that we're going to learn tonight. Amen? So what are the symbols, some of the symbols, and what do they mean? What, do, what does a symbol mean? A symbol is an enhancement of reality. Symbols point us to a truth. And symbols transform our way of thinking and living. So that's, that's the importance of symbols. So what about those symbols that are in the book of Revelation? Those symbols in Revelation are a visual prophecy. So John is prophesying, but he's doing it in such a way that you can literally see in the spirit. You can see what he's talking about. From his description, he, he's drawing such a picture that, you know, you could have been right there with him. The second thing is, 
sometimes it's already interpreted for us, those symbols. Because the author of whoever's writing will tell us exactly what the symbol means. So sometimes we have to be careful not to try and reinterpret something that's already being interpreted by the author. The numbers mean something. So in the book of Revelation, even the numbers have an importance. In this book, time is fluid and flexible. So we don't know the timeline. We don't know that thread of time. And the last thing is about symbols in Revelation is one event can be shown multiple times from diverse angles. So sometimes you might interpret it as two separate events when it's actually one event being told a different way to help you to understand that event. So let's get into the scripture that we're going to be focusing on tonight. We're going to be in Revelations chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8 in the New Living Translation. Then we're going to be in Ezekiel 38 verses 1 through 6 and Ezekiel 39 verses 1 through 6 in the New Living Translation. And I'm not necessarily going to read every one of those verses in Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39, but I am going to read those verses in Revelation 20. So let's get started with Revelation. Revelation 20, verse 7. When the thousand years came to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. Let's read a couple of verses in Ezekiel 38. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against him. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. God, I am your enemy. Let's read a few verses out of Ezekiel 39. Son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. I am your enemy, O Gog, ruler of the nations of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and drive you toward the mountains of Israel, bringing you from the distant north. So we're going to be looking into those scriptures. We're going to find out a little bit more about what, what is it talking about here. So let's dive into looking at Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8. And I'm drawing, a reason why I read from the book of Ezekiel is because I'm going to be drawing inferences from Ezekiel 38 and 39. So what's it all about there in Revelation 20? Satan is released after the millennial reign. He leads a worldwide rebellion. Gog and Magog here may be uh, ascertained or, or looked upon as an equivalent of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, represented debauchery 
lewdness, immorality, lechery. So that's that's what it could be. It could be just a a reference like this is sort of like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's clear that man is inveterately evil or addicted to evil and will revert to his sin nature. It shows that God is righteous in his judgments. It also will show that only personal regeneration can truly change a person. We can't change ourselves. I know that I tried to change myself and I failed miserably. We will continue to fail miserably unless we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can make us a new creature. He's the only one that when we fall will forgive us, pick us up, clean us up, turn us around, and set us on a good course. So it talked about that the countries that are going to join with Satan are going to come from the north. So I wanted to find out what countries might those be. So I looked at a map and I drew a line and I followed it north from Israel. And what city or countries are there? The first country is Lebanon. Then if you keep going, it'll be Syria, Turkey, the Black Sea. Then it will be the Ukraine, Belarus, Lithuania, Latvia, and Russia. And then finally, as we have gone north, it'll be Mongolia and the People's Republic of China. So I want to give you a bit of an overview because we're talking tonight and we're centering on from Revelations 20, Gog and Magog. This is what the Africa Bible Commentary says about Gog and Magog. That in ancient times, Gog and Magog were Israel's greatest enemies to the north possibly supported by the writings in Ezekiel 38 and 39. In Revelations 20, verse 7, it may represent all nations. It may possibly be symbolic throughout all of the apocalyptic writings for the forces of evil. So Gog and Magog may just mean, here's some evil forces coming at you. The combination of Gog and Magog could mean John is referring to the hosts of the wicked, depicting the intensity of this final attack of evil on the things of God. Hmm, pretty gruesome. We're still digging, trying to find out more in this overview about Gog and Magog. Some scholars believe mentioning Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 32, 38 verse 2, excuse me, is different from that in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9. So why is that different? Why do they think that there's a difference there in, in battles? The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, the armies in Ezekiel 38 come primarily from the north and involve only a few other nations. In Revelations 20, verses 7 through 9, the armies come from all nations and from all directions. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, there is no mention of Satan, 
nor of any of the millennial conditions. It takes place in connection with end time events. Revelations 20 verse 7 places the battle at the end of the millennium. So that's why those two battles could be different. Scripture does not explain the expression Gog and Magog. So who is Gog and Magog? Encyclopedia Britannica says this. Here are their thoughts. In first century AD, Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, claimed they were Scythians. In the fifth and sixth centuries, they were thought to be the Huns. In the 10th century, they were equated with the Magyars and the entire Muslim world. Some apocalyptic, apocalyptic writings identify them when the, with the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Let me say that again. I want, I want it to be clear. Some apocalyptic writings identify them with the 10 lost tribes of Israel. So we're still searching for exactly who this Gog and Magog could be. So let's focus on each one of them. First, I want to focus on Gog. And what does that name mean? The Encyclopedia Britannica says Gog could mean mountain. In 1 Chronicles 5 and 4, Gog is identified as a descendant of Joel, who was a descendant of Reuben, Jacob's firstborn son. Gog is also called the Prince of Rosh. There is evidence of an ancient people called Rosh and from which Russia or modern Russians have derived their race and their name. These allies to help God will come from Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, and Beth Torgama. Listen to what Joachim of Fiore, who was a 12th century Calabrian abbot, an Italian theologian, this is what he said about Gog. So he was in the medieval times, and this is what he said. Gog is the final antichrist. He will come just before the last judgment, but only after the defeat of an earlier antichrist and a period of millennial peace. So those were the thoughts back in the medieval days. So I'd like to give some explanations now of what we have been talking about. We've named some names. We said that Gog was the prince of Meshach and Tubal. Meshach and Tubal were the fifth and sixth sons of Japheth, who was the son of Noah. It is believed that they intermarried and became known as Magog. It's also believed that Meshach and Tubal are Moscow and Tobolsk. Another scholar reveals that Meshach and Tubal are the ancient Moshi and Mushi or Mushki and the Tubalu 
and Tiberini peoples who dwelled in the area of the Black and Caspian Seas in Ezekiel's day. Today, these regions are in Turkey, possibly including parts of southern Russia and northern Iran. So we talked about some of those locations that these armies are coming from. We talked about Persia, and Persia would be Iran today. Put would be Libya today. Kush would be Ethiopia or Central Africa. Gomer would be Southeast Europe and Germany. Beth Torgama would be Armenia or Turkey. Some say Gog and Magog are one in the same. So they don't believe it's two, two separate things. They believe it's one thing, Gog and Magog. I don't know. What do you think? There will be a judgment of Gog. There will be fights that break out among these armies. There'll be plagues, earthquakes, torrential rains, hailstones, and burning sulfur. This is what God is going to unleash on God as a punishment. When I heard about hailstones and burning sulfur, the first thing I thought about is Sodom and Gomorrah. Why is God going to do that? Why is he making such an ostentatious show against God? It is to make himself known in the sight of all nations. It is to show that he is the only true God. He's the only Lord. And it's to demonstrate his greatness and his holiness. So now let's look into, we looked at it a little bit about Gog. Let's look into Magog. What does the name Magog mean? It could mean region of Gog. It could be land of the Gyges. Strong's Concordance says this. It's the mountainous region between Cappadocia and Media and the habitation of the descendants of Magog a barbarous northern region. So is Magog a specific person? I don't know. Some believe that it could be a, a tyrannical leader who hatches an evil plan. Is Magog a specific land? I don't know that for sure. Some people think it's Russia and the former republics of the Soviet Union. An archaeologist, I was reading his blog, and this is what he said. The ancient Assyrians had dealings with Magog, which was also called Lydia, and their court records clearly identify Magog, and it's not Russia. The Assyrian royal court dealt with these nations a hundred years before Ezekiel wrote. These records are the, are the same ones mentioned in Ezra 4.15. So that's interesting. Some people think it's Russia, but this archaeologist said, no way, couldn't be Russia. Some people think it's Magog is Turkey. 
Some people think that Magog is a generalization of an enemy of Israel. Here's what the ancient rabbinical literature says. The wars of Gog and Magog focus on the belief that the messianic age will be preceded by a period of great suffering and upheaval. Maimonides, who included belief in the coming of the Messiah as one of his 13 principles of the Jewish faith, stated that the details of these future events are not fundamental to the religion and that one should not dwell on them as their particulars were unknown to the great sages. He's talking about, you know, great men of God. Our sages have said that the spirit of those who calculate the ends will expire. Maimonides wrote in the Mishnah Torah, rather one is to simply wait and believe in the principle of this matter, as we have explained. What he's saying is, we don't have to interpret it. We just need to see, sit and wait for the events to play themselves out. That's his, that's his opinion. What do you think? I even went to the Quran. You said the Quran. Well, we don't believe in the Quran. I'm not saying to believe in the Quran. Remember, I'm researching and I'm digging, trying to find out about Gog and Magog. And they still have something in the Quran about this. They call them by different names. They call them Yaju and Maju. And they said it's two corrupt, hostile forces that will ravage the earth before the end of the world. We know we believe in the Bible, and, and that's what we trust. That's our truth. But remember, I'm sharing different aspects from different places about Gog and Magog. So what are my thoughts? I've given you some of what I've learned because there is a lot more. Like I said, it boggled my mind. There was just so much stuff, but I had to tailor it down and give you just a small bite. Please continue to study Revelations 20. Continue to study about Gog and Magog. Again, here are my thoughts about what we read in Revelations 20. In, from Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. A vicious enemy with overwhelming power will attack Israel, but they're going to be supernaturally delivered. As I read these scriptures, as I read these verses, I realized maybe we don't have to know the meaning of God and Magog. Who said we have to know everything there is to know about everything? We can't even know everything about everything. Could God have purposely obscured the meaning so it wouldn't become our primary focus? You know how we can go down bunny trails. We can just go off on a tangent and be so focused on something else. We miss what is important. God doesn't want us to miss the important things. Let the important things be the important things. The next thing that I thought about is, the Lord will return. It's an absolute, get ready for it, because he's coming back again. He said so, and that's all I need to know about it. He will return. 
And then the last thing is to live as if he will return in the next 10 minutes. That doesn't mean stop what you're doing and, and just be sitting there waiting for him to come. No, put one foot in front of the other. Continue to live your life out. But at the back of your mind, be thinking, you know what? God could just come. Jesus could just return. In a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, he could be here. We just need to remember that and keep that ever before us as we go about our days or our day. We don't know how many days we have. So as we go about this day, we need to keep that in front of us. I'm going to share this final quote. It is from thewordpress.com. And it says, believe it or not, the Bible is being played out right before our eyes. And the world doesn't even see it. Many times um, in my early days of Christianity, I heard people see, say that we see up to the corner, but God can see around the corner. I believe the book of Revelation is God's way of allowing us to see around the corner. That's why I think it's so important. God is giving us this window to see things that are to come. What a blessing that is. And I'm excited to continue on learning things in the book of Revelation. Will you pray with me? Father, I just give you thanks and praise for this lesson. Thank you for what you showed us about Gog and Magog. And Lord, show us what in there pertains to us. What specific thing do you want us to grasp out of all of that? And I just rejoice that you would share your heart with us. Show us what you're about to do in the earth. And we give you thanks and praise for you are a loving and kind God. Thank you for being with us as we continue on in this study. We just praise you. We adore you. In Jesus' name, amen.